Today's world is much different than it used to be. It used to be that random acts of violence and even terrorism was rare. But now it seems like you can't even look at any type of news article anywhere without seeing some kind of violence in the world or some kind of terrorism. The result is we live in a world now that feels incredibly unsafe. But today I'm going to help you feel like the world is a little bit more predictable by helping you to demystify school shooters. As we progress through this episode, I want you to keep in mind that my intention for creating this episode is not to condone the actions of school shooters. The wake of suffering that they create is unparalleled. And the honest truth is nobody who has suffered from the hands of a school shooter should ever be required to feel empathy, should ever be required to forgive them. That's up to when or if that ever happens in their specific healing process. But the problem is so much of the way that we need to go about solving this conundrum of school shooters has to do with our capacity to understand them. A lot of people out there would love to hear me say, don't worry, school shooters are just super mentally ill. They're nothing like you. We, of course, hate the idea that we could have anything in common with people who are capable of these types of acts, but unfortunately, to understand school shooters, we're going to have to make our ego a lot more uncomfortable. We're going to have to keep them out of the them category versus us category, because it's not accurate, and it's going to prevent us from understanding what's actually going on with them. One of my least favorite things is when I hear about schools that are doing all these school shooter drills as if the person who's going to walk into the school and shoot everybody in the classroom isn't part of those very same drills. And that's the very mentality that we go into this ideology around um, school shooters with. We don't want to see that they're one of us, but we've got to start to. Our incapacity to understand school shooters begins with our incapacity to understand emotional neglect and deep loneliness. The reason that we have a hard time understanding this is because emotional neglect and deep, deep loneliness is not about something that you do see, it's about something that you don't see. And when most of us are looking into these cases of school shooters, we're looking for something visible. We're looking for abuse that happened. We're looking for some kind of mental illness that we can diagnose. But what's underlying all of them is something invisible. This is the main reason why we have failed to identify any characteristic, any condition that fits every single school shooter. That's the frustration. Is basically we go into it going, wait a minute, it seems like there's, people are so different. But there is one thing that is underlying each one of them. And that's what I'm about to tell you. It takes a whole collection of different factors to create a school shooter, but the culprit that unites them, what is unanimous amongst them, is emotional neglect which is something that can't be seen because it's a suffering of what isn't happening instead of about what is happening. And what is unanimous among them, often as a result of emotional neglect, is a sense of isolation that exists even when they are surrounded by other people. This is why not every school shooter is physically socially isolated, but I absolutely 100% assure you that they are isolated emotionally. Now, if we can look at a school shooter and identify aspects or conditions of their life that would lead to them becoming like this, Abuse, for example. That's always an additive to the emotional neglect. To understand emotional neglect more, I want you to watch my video called Today's Great Epidemic and How to Cure It. We are currently living in the emotional dark age. This is a lot like it used to be back when we had no idea what the hell was going on with pathogens. We blamed prostitutes 
and God being displeased with us for why the plague spread, for example, because we had no idea how germs spread. But we are in that era today relative to emotions. We're just as confused. That's why we're not seeing what is actually occurring with people like school shooters. We do not understand emotions. We do not understand how to create the right emotional conditions for a person to feel connected to another person. We don't get what we don't overtly see and have not experienced for ourselves. And this is why emotional neglect is not something that parents get that they are even doing to their children, because even the best parents alive today often do this with their children. It's not something that we get that we are doing to each other. Every act in this universe is carried out for one reason and one reason only, and that is because the person that is carrying out that act thinks that doing so is going to make them feel better. This is also the case with school shooters. It is a desperate attempt to seek relief. Though every case of school shooter involves a unique cocktail of experiences and influences that make them carry out the act where other people don't, the truth is that they all have in common the inability to truly connect emotionally to other people. To explain how this works, I'm going to set you up to understand the world of a school shooter who is the most difficult to understand. This is a school shooter for whom we cannot identify any abuse within the family and for whom we do not actually see social isolation. Okay, so I want you to imagine that you're a kid that grows up in a middle class or even upper class home. This is a place where you get fed and you get clothes and all your physical needs are met. But deep down, you don't feel understood. You don't feel seen. You don't feel heard. It's almost like your internal world is completely invisible to everyone around you. Because of this, people in your experience, especially your family, they cause you emotional pain. They're not attuned to you. Anytime we're not attuned to somebody else, we cause pain to them. That's why a toddler who's not attuned to a kitten often carries it around by its neck. Things happen in your life and in this family that cause pain. They always do. But the thing is, is that with people who are unattuned to you, there's nobody there to actually help you to work through those painful experiences. There is no way to create genuine emotional resolution. And when you feel that hurt, it's invalidated when it occurs because no one sees it and even shames you for feeling that way. So you have to learn to hide it. Hatred is a cover emotion for hurt. So anytime we really can't resolve our sensation of hurt, hatred kind of comes in as a layer to make us feel less powerless. You feel isolated when everyone's at the dinner table together. You feel you have no significance and doubt whether you really exist. Because of the deep pain you feel in this situation, you start to hate people. But you're secretive about that hate. You simply notice that feeling hate feels much better than feeling hurt that you are powerless to do anything about. Because you've learned connection, or shall I say the lack thereof, genuine connection emotionally from your family, you carry on that basic pattern of not being able to connect out into your external relationships. And for kids, this means school. So your classmates, guess what? You can't find a way to genuinely emotionally connect with them either. You don't feel seen by them, heard by them, felt by them. And by the way, that causes pain as well. So as you can see, when there is no way to resolve pain, and it just keeps accumulating and accumulating and accumulating, it's kind of like a pressure cooker. A pressure cooker no one seems to see which makes it worse. But then you notice something. You notice that the closest you can feel to somebody emotionally is when they're in pain, just like you. So when someone's suffering, suddenly they're close and then they feel happy again and they go away. When tragedies occur, people feel like you feel for the first time and so you feel like you exist.
They are in a different reality most of the time that is inconsiderate of the pain that you are in. This makes you feel hurt by them and even more alone. Now, how many of you have been in a scenario where you've been really hurt by somebody and you just keep wishing they would have the same experience happen to them so that they would get it? Now, we like to think, oh gosh, you know, there's nothing dangerous about that type of thinking. Or there's nothing that could be similar in my type of thinking when I'm in that mood to somebody who's a school shooter. But this is the thinking that begins the chain. Having said that it's dangerous, it's actually a natural thought. It's a desire for empathy. And empathy is a desire to share the same reality. You begin to fantasize about forcing them to see you and forcing them to be in your reality so you don't have to be alone in your reality. You dream of forcing them to feel empathy through going through a situation that forces them to feel what you feel. None of this is particularly conscious, of course. You begin to premeditate about it. Now, the amount of emotional pain and disconnection that a person has to get to to be in this type of a space leads a person to do one of two things. Either kill themselves, or kill other people, or both. With this extreme level of isolation and emotional torment that cannot be resolved, what happens now is that a series of events is going to push you over the edge you lose hope of ever really being connected. Perhaps someone breaks up with you and you get disapproval in the form of a bad grade in your class and you get a parking ticket. All of these things make you feel less and less connected to other people and like there is no hope of resolution or of being not alone. And on that day, you decide you have nothing to lose anymore because the parts of you that put the brakes on the impulses are the ones that thought connection might just be possible and now they see it's futile. And so they are overpowered by your pain. So what do you do? You go out in the world, you decide you have nothing to lose anymore, and so you carry out the attack. Now, going out into the world for a student is their school. If you have particular people who have hurt you, like school personnel, for example, or a girl who broke up with you, you will target them specifically. But if you feel, in general, like the world is just them versus me, you're going to just go out for blood in general. In that second, you are significant. In that moment, even though they don't consciously realize that you have succeeded in making them join your reality. Now this is where I really need you to stretch your mind. It is tempting for us to think that if somebody enters a school and starts shooting everyone in the school, it's a push away. Emotionally, it's trying to push people away from you but it's actually exactly the opposite. This type of an action is a desperate attempt when all other hope of any other way of doing it is lost, of creating the emotional connection that you can't get in any other way. In that moment that you injure or kill them, they feel your loss, they feel your powerlessness, they feel the pain that is bad enough at this point that it feels like life can't go on, they feel the horror of your emotional life, they feel and see the world that is going on inside you underneath the surface facade. You may have been trying to get them to see this. You may have been dropping hints or crying out for help before, but no one succeeded in seeing you, so you had to force them to, and now they get it. But now they turn you into a monster. When you perceive that it's not you that did it to them, it's them that did it to you, and now they're getting a taste of their very same emotional medicine. This is what happens in the life of a school shooter who no one can explain because nothing about themselves or their life seems to set them drastically apart from anyone else. Every other school shooter is ten times easier to understand than the one that I've just given you. Because you can see all kinds of elements that can contribute. 
something that is critical to understand, and we have to get this if we're going to understand emotions, is that everyone's perspective is so incredibly different. And nowhere is this more the case than with the perspective of an adult versus the perspective of a child. I'll just give you a simple example. Let's say that a parent brings a new baby home, but they already have a toddler. Now, if this type of a situation is set up, this child experiences extreme trauma. But we would never look at it and say that it's trauma. Why? Because it's normal to have siblings. So from the parent's perspective, this is something that they're just going to get used to and they're just going to have to get over and it's normal to feel jealousy. But let me show you the toddler's perspective if this isn't played right. I want you to imagine that you have a spouse. This is a husband or wife. This is family. This is someone who is your primary attachment figure. Now let's say that that person walks through the door today and says, you know what? I found somebody else I'm going to be in a relationship with too. And you know what? Since this is a new relationship, I'm going to be probably focusing on them a little bit more. I'm sorry that's hard for you. You'll get used to it. Oh, and don't be jealous because bad girls are jealous. This is the emotional experience that a toddler has when parents don't do a very good job of introducing new babies into the household. Now that's a massive trauma if you can't tell. It's one that ironically many adults don't even get over. <laughs> what did you notice? What you should have noticed is that from the perspective of the child, that's pretty freaking abusive. From the perspective of a parent, that's not abusive at all. So the moral of the story is this. If we are trying to look at people in terms of what type of conditions in their life and drastic abuse could be drastic enough to cause somebody to feel this amount of emotional pain and disconnection to cause them to go out and create these type of acts, we are going to fall desperately short of understanding people because we're going to be looking for abuse by our external standards in the same way that a parent would never think it's abusive to bring a new baby home to a toddler. School shooters contain an emotional void where true connection and human intimacy should be but isn't. And this connection is not something that can occur when you are simply around other people physically. And what the future will prove is that trauma, albeit trauma that most people don't see, is the cause of both narcissistic personality traits and psychosis, which are two traits that are most common among school shooters for whom we cannot overtly see a traumatic experience to pin their behavior on. I will be talking at length about this in the future because it's not something that psychologists have even caught up with yet. There are some reasons why school shootings are becoming so prevalent today. I'm going to give you some of those reasons. The first is we are in the middle of a huge collective consciousness shift. Now, part of that is that our collective human shadow can no longer hide in the closet. It is coming up into plain view to be integrated by us all. Another reason is we are becoming desensitized to violence on a massive scale. I know this frustrates everybody because, you know, it's very tempting to just blame the media for everything, but we actually do have to accept that this is a big component. The media is making killing seem commonplace, and many of the video games that people are playing for hours upon hours cause the player to identify with the person carrying out the violence, and in many cases this means shooting. Unfortunately, many of the people who suffer from emotional isolation and powerlessness tend to gravitate toward video games where they can exit their reality as well as identity and also carry out violent acts because it makes them feel less powerless. 
These violent movies and video games allow the person to see that it's possible to transform from a nobody with no personal power or significance into a sort of an earthly god who is above laws and empowered through aggression and violence. It is much harder for the brain to differentiate between what it's experiencing here in physical reality and what it sees on a screen. Ten times more difficult than we would like to admit. When we desensitize our brain to violence, we no longer feel the same reaction when we see it. It's sort of like an addiction. You have to keep upping the ante and upping the ante to feel the same kind of relief. Also, desensitizing our brain to violence makes it so we no longer perceive a drastic gap between what's occurring physically and what's occurring in the mind. This is a big problem for me because so many of the people whose internal worlds were not seen because of emotional neglect don't feel as if they're truly real. And so they're living in a kind of disreality or dissociative state in general. So they have even less of a capacity to perceive the difference between what they're doing on a video game or even in their own fantasies and what they carry out physically. Another reason that these shootings and acts of terror are so common today is that we have a completely different world that we're living in today than we were living in before. It's almost like each successive generation has 10 times the stressor, but with 10 times less the resources to deal with those stressors. We are being inundated with stress nowadays. Our lives are not simple at all. And like the rates of issues within families and broken homes are increasing exponentially. So what children are dealing with, not just children, adults too, what they're dealing with is so much stress, so much information input into their systems that it's very difficult to deal with. At the same time, we have become more and more isolated. It used to be that even a few generations ago, we were living with extended family. Before that, we were living in communities. And before that, we were living in tribe. So what that meant is that somebody that was dealing with any kind of an issue, especially a child, had a lot of people to go to to get different ways of dealing with their distress. But now... Kids don't have this option. It's kind of like you better cross your fingers that they get good resources from the people who are in their immediate family, oftentimes not a home that is intact. If they don't get those resources there, they're pretty much out of luck. And we have to be freaking honest. School is not a place where we are giving children these resources. When we have a lot of people to use as resources for ourselves, it's easy to find connection. If we can't find emotional connection with one person, there's another person to try. That is just not the case for us today. And it's gonna have drastic effect. And this is the thing. The world is almost impossible for parents nowadays. It's impossible for everyone, but it's impossible for parents. So what does that mean if we're incredibly stressed out and the world's too much for even us and we don't have enough resources is that we can't really be there for our kids fully either. So what this leaves us with is a condition where, let's just take the example of a child, often the only resources or strategies that they can come up with to deal with their emotional aspects are what they have learned from one parent, if that, assuming that's an available parent. Now what if that strategy sucks? For example, if we show a kid that the way to deal with emotion is to stuff it down and pretend it doesn't exist, they will copy that, and it will work horribly for them. But they don't have anyone who deals with the emotion in any other way to sit there with them and actually help them with how they're feeling. So what are they supposed to do? Schools 
because these are not the places these kids are getting these resources, are places where many kids feel more isolated and more traumatized and more powerless and more disciplined instead of guided. School is a place that adds to emotional pain for most children alive today. And it is even more the case for the two most isolated kids in school, one being the social outcasts who are isolated in every way, and two being the social actors who are surrounded by other kids, but no one sees them because they are in a relationship not with them, but with the role that these children play. Prevention of this kind of violence is absolutely necessary, but it goes far beyond noticing the signs that are inherent in school shooters. Now, I'm going to explain these signs just really fast before I go into the actual solution to all of this. But most school shooters tend to drop hints. They often try to recruit others to participate or tell people not to go to school on certain days or talk about what they want to do or engage in progressive forms of violence. We really have to start owning people in our own society. By owning them, what I mean is taking responsibility for other people as if they are part of ourselves. If we start to see these types of signs, we need to do something about it. And in a loving way, not a way that isolates them further. We need to make more resources available to all children of all demographics. We have to create structures within our society itself, that includes schools, that are nourishing to children's emotional selves, where they really feel seen, they really feel heard, they really feel understood. They feel like there are people there that can actively work through their painful emotions with them, and where these children feel like they actually have a place to belong and to be valued by us as part of us. That is the strategy schools need to be taking, not just putting guns in teachers' hands. It's really important what I said about the fact that we have to bring resources to all demographics of children because it's a basic assumption that the kids who are carrying out these type of acts come from underprivileged circumstances, and that is complete BS. In fact, oftentimes, children from underprivileged areas actually have more resources available to them than children who are in middle-class and upper-class demographics. The reason for this is because there is much more of an outreach towards this demographic of people. More programs after school stuff, more community getting together. And so a lot of times the kids who are missing out on these emotional resources especially do not come from the underprivileged areas, even though we do also have to provide these things to underprivileged demographics as well. We have to get something painful. It's that we love to make the assumption that children who are raised, especially in upper-class households, are getting all the resources they need and are so lucky, when in fact those children are literally the ones starving to death emotionally. But by far, the best way to deal with this issue we've got in society, regardless of whether it is terrorism or school shootings or even suicidal people, is we have to understand emotions. We have to understand connection and genuine intimacy and to create it. And even though it would be good for this to happen at any point, this ideally has got to start before these people develop the emotional void so consistent with emotional neglect. Pain that is not properly addressed either becomes directed externally or internally or both. In the worst cases of all, this means suicide, murder, or both. To understand more about this, watch my video titled The Emotional Wake-Up Call, which will show you how 
to deal with each other's emotions. The real reason that these attacks are carried out is because a human being feels an insatiable need to connect, to feel empowered, and to feel significant. And yet, due to the conditions of their life, they have no other way of creating it other than to create terror in other people. I know this is difficult for us to swallow, but if we're going to solve this issue within our society, it's a pill we're going to have to swallow. School shooting is not a problem with an individual. It is a problem created by society itself. We fail to connect to one another and really see, feel, hear, and understand each other. And because of this emotional distance between each other, we feel the world is unsafe and renders us powerless. And because of our unconscious psychology, when we are put in this position, there are only two roles to identify with, a winner or a loser, the strong or the weak, a victim or a perpetrator. Because of our collective psychology, we are sending a massive mixed signal, a mixed message to all of us, including our children, who are the most susceptible. Just look at a superhero movie. What does a superhero do in the average movie today? Kills a whole lot of people. But that's the good guy. And I can tell you that when people are sitting in the audience, every one of them enjoys it. We may say at a societal level that killing is not okay, but that is not what we are seeing in entertainment. That is not what we see when we are acting as if it is perfect for us to go to war and it makes us the good guys for attacking another country. The rift that exists today between the bad guy and the good guy is a rift that separates us. It's a rift that causes loneliness, isolation, and also powerlessness to one another. And it is a rift that has to end. So end it in yourself today. Have a good week. Thank you.